What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome back into episode 11 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I am David Stabben, joined as always by my good friends Angelo and Glisa and Jake Long. And we have a very special episode for you guys this week to celebrate making it to double digits and, you know, a special occasion. We're going to do these every now and then once we hit, you know, like round numbers or good milestone numbers. We're not just picking a random wrestling show on the on the WWE Network randomizer. We actually have gone out and picked something ourselves that we wanted to review. We are talking about the G1 Supercard from Madison Square Garden, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor from April of 2019. Really excited for this one, guys. What about you? How are you guys doing? I mean, I mean... Angelo, I swear, I'm going to hit you with the PCO powerbomb out of the ring if you don't let me go first for once. I would be willing uh, to take that bump. David, uh, did you say that this was episode 11 because you don't know the the word for 11 in Spanish? I believe it's once. Eh, close enough. Yeah. Um, now, I'm excited. This was – David and I drove five hours to go watch this this card, and it was it was worth every bit of the five hours. Yeah, I remember you guys just going on and on about how awesome your time in New York was going to MSG to watch this. And this is the first time I actually sat down to watch it. I had not watched it. Uh, you guys talked about it, and I heard a little bit about it. But it was before I ever watched anything with New Japan, because the first time I watched New Japan was that summer for the uh, G1. Uh, for the G1. So this was a very good introduction for me. I saw a lot of things that I know, a lot of things I didn't know. But for the most part, I was very entertained, and I think this is how you do a giant uh, co-branded pay-per-view. Yeah, and so we can, Jake and I at least, we can analyze this in a different way than just, hey, we sat down at our computer and we watched it on the WWE Network. We were there. We were physically in the building for this for this event, and... I mean, for me, I mean, I've been to a few wrestling shows. This was easily the best one that I've ever been to, and it was just a, a really cool experience. You know, like you said, we drove up five hours to go mm. uh, see this show. Shout out to uh, my good friend Alec Garrity, who got us the tickets, lives up in Long Island. And he actually, you know, we, we wanted to get four seats because he brought a friend. And so he actually went in, he, he signed up for Honor Club just so he could get into the pre-sale, which I think cost him something to do that. Just so he could get into the pre-sale and get tickets. And it's a good thing he did because they sold out like immediately. They saw all of Madison Square Garden in like an hour. Yeah, it was. And to be able to say that we were at uh, in Madison Square Garden for the first non-WWE wrestling event since 1960. Was the oh, last wow, time hard, the last time that the McMahons that there was a wrestling event at Madison Square Garden that was not promoted by the McMahon family was 1960. Wow, that that's I was gonna say like 80. I, that's that's legit. I didn't realize that, but yeah, like it was super cool to be a part of that. I've been to MSG twice in my life. Once for a summer uh, summer camp trip to a New York Liberty game, and then I went to the Knicks jazz game about two weeks before the COVID break, uh, COVID, uh, shut down the NBA. So 
The Knicks and the Jazz. Knicks and Jazz. So I got to see Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert live, which was really cool. Did, did the Ooh. Knicks win? <laughs> no. No, they did not. <laughs> and let me tell you, I there were definitely more fans at the New York Liberty game than at the New York Knicks game. That, that does not shock me one bit. I am, by for one, I'm glad that you didn't get COVID from Rudy Gobert that night. That I <laughs> so. am too, don't worry. But yeah, I mean, it was my first time, and I'm pretty sure, Jake, yours as well, it was. being in the world's most famous arena. But it's not the greatest live wrestling show I've ever seen, because I've been to two in my life. And I was at Capital Punishment 2011, and let me tell you about the John Cena R-Truth main event. It was Tell great. Us all about the John Cena R Truth. <laughs> it remember happened. When, remember when R Truth main evented pay per view? <laughs> it happened. Ron Killings. Ron the Truth Killings. TNA legend. <laughs> I still remember when he debuted, and it's it was just an awesome debut. And I was like, this guy's awesome. Let me tell you this. R Truth. I was I, I I was watching something that of him in TNA 15 years ago. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> and he wrestles exactly the same. The it guy can go. He's awesome. Our truth kicks ass, man. I don't want to I don't want this I don't want people to think that us laughing about our truth being in the main event of a pay-per-view is us disrespecting our truth because I think all three of us love our truth and he, we think he kicks ass. Absolutely. Uh, oh, so 100%. That is a major disclaimer in this podcast that's actually <laughs> about a new Japan show. <laughs> but, so I mean, we can we can jump right into this. It's, this is a five and a half hour long show, so we ended up having to cut this in half. So this will be another two parter, just like we did last week uh, with the WrestleMania twenty eight review. So we're gonna go up until about halfway through the show, and then next week we're gonna talk about the four really big matches that took in about another second half of the card that being Zack Sabre Jr. and Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi Tetsuya Naito, which was a match that absolutely changed my life and it was like just a religious experience for me to watch uh, live. Uh, the Matt Taven Jay Lethal Marty Skrull triple threat ladder match and then the main event the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada against Switchblade Jay White but we got a lot of other stuff to get through the first half of the show so guys uh before uh, uh, let's let's remember some guys everybody let's do it april 6th 2019 we are at a sold out madison square garden there is 16,354 people in attendance jake and i have just picture us we have just come from city field watching the mets demolish the washington nationals we have just seen J.D. Davis hit two dingers, not one, but two dingers. I am holding a Todd Frazier WWE bobblehead, which I end up accidentally leaving at the arena when I leave. And hey, David, and what happened to mine? I don't remember what happened. I sold mine for 20 bucks. You did sell yours for 20 bucks. I so forgot about that. Who yeah. won? Who won that? <laughs> you came up on the top of the transaction because I meant to keep it. I carried it around with me the whole yep, time. All and day. I got it at the arena. You had it all day. But I mean, in retrospect, I, I mean, it would have been annoying if I had to carry it around to the different bars that we yeah. went to afterwards. And then it, we didn't get back to my brother's apartment until like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so. yeah, you probably would have lost it anyway. I would have lost it at some point. But here we are in Madison Square Garden, and we start off 
with the Honor Rumble, basically just a way to get every single guy in either Ring of Honor or New Japan Pro Wrestling who is not actually booked on the card in a real match to just get out there and be able to be in, you know, in, in front of the crowd in Madison Square Garden, say that they wrestled in the world's most famous arena on such hmm. a big show. It is, you know, 42 minutes long. There's 30, it was supposed to be a 30-man uh, match. There actually ends up being 31 people in it. <laughs> so we're not going to go through every single person because it would just take way too long. I think each of us have picked a few specific guys we want to highlight and talk about how cool we think they are. But it's kind of broad strokes of it. Kenny King from Ring of Honor is the first entrant. He ends up lasting all the way until the end. Doesn't really do much. He kind of hides a lot of it. You know, they kind of purposely make it so you forget he's in the match. The final showdown is between two great Japanese legends, Jushin Thunder Liger in one of his last matches before retiring the next year. I think his last time ever in America, that was his. Uh, that was that night for him. And then the big surprise entrant at number 30, the great Muda. It's like Liger and Muda show down at the end, and then Kenny King appears out of nowhere, tosses both of them out. He wins, in doing so, earning a shot at the Ring of Honor Championship, which I'm, if I remember correctly, he got a few months later and he lost. And I'm pretty sure I saw him at the bar later that night. <laughs> pretty i'm still pretty sure it was kenny king who i saw at the bar we went to afterwards. you're stealing my note i was going to mention that well big respect to kenny king and but it was it was kind of one of those buzzkill finishes because when it was liger got a huge pop muta got a huge pop they show down everyone's into it at this point you know it's it's still like a pre-show match the fans are kind of still filing in at this point but the fans are really into liger and muta and then Kenny King wins, and you're just kind of like, oh, well, I don't care about this guy. That sucks. <laughs> Talking about the guys uh, filtering in, what happened with the guy um, who missed Suzuki? Yeah, so the guy next to me, like, so Minoru Suzuki is the second guy out in this, in the Rumble. And, you know, Suzuki gets the whole entrance, and he has the fans sing along to his theme song. They all yell, Kaze ni nare. And the guy sitting, there are two guys sitting next to us, or sitting next to me, who were together, and they showed up after the Honor Rumble, and one of them turned to me and was like, yo, did like Suzuki show up already? And I said, yeah, he was in the Honor Rumble. And he was like, genuinely really sad that he didn't get to sing Kaze Minare. <laughs> I would have been so upset if I didn't get to see Minaro Suzuki in America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, the guy was really just like downcast Absolutely about it, and I felt really bad for him. That So <laughs> Suzuki's theme here, I wasn't ready for the first time I was watching it, because uh, when I'm watching the New Japan matches, it's not the same theme, or the theme is not as... Well, it's hushed. That is the thing. I mean, so, if we watched it... I, I watched it on YouTube. That's how I watched yes. it, because that's Ring how of I watch Honor it as did well. pull up the full... Put up the full show on YouTube a few months ago, and a few of the themes are overdubbed for whatever copyright reasons. So, Minoru Suzuki's okay. is one of those. So, yeah, he gets a different one. Uh, Jushin Liger's also one, and there's, I think, one other guy. Taguchi is the other one who has his uh, song overdubbed. And I it sucks because all three of them have great themes. I will say, though, the theme that they did for Suzuki's was still f pretty awesome. Like, it just had a theme to it. It was a little bit cliche and off-putting at first because it's, like, this classical, like, look-through-the-memories kind of dub. 
But man, Minoru Suzuki is just one of my favorite guys from New Japan. And when we were selecting guys to talk about, I had to talk about Suzuki uh, just because he comes off as this absolute madman. The crowd loves him. The booze you hear uh, after, not evil, Ishii eliminates him. Was it Ishii that eliminated him? I'm pretty sure. I couldn't tell you. Uh, but the boot, yeah, it was Ishii because the I was surprised because everyone loves Suzuki Ishii matches because they just kill each other, and so when Ishii eliminated Suzuki, the crowds just started booing uh, Ishii, which is funny because Ishii is loved by everyone as well. Have you have you seen any other Suzuki or Ishii match? Because every time they fight somebody, it's just them either elbowing each other in the face for thirty minutes. Or Suzuki's got somebody in a leg lock for 30 minutes. Is there any other Suzuki match, and why would you want to watch anything else? I mean, come on now. (laughs) No, they're awesome. (laughs) I think Suzuki is so cool because, like, he's just such a terrifying man. And I think that was honestly the moment when I realized, when, when we got in the building, it was really cool being there, and you felt like you were at a a very, like, historically significant show. Mm -hmm. But the moment when I realized like how big of a deal this was to the performers was when Suzuki shows up and Suzuki is like, his character is like, he's basically a bond villain in real life. I mean, he's just a terrifying (laughs) gangster, just murderer, just sadistic torturer. And he walks out there and he's got this huge, just shit eating grin on his face. And like that, that just kind of reinforced to me because like you never see Suzuki smile ever unless he's actually murdering somebody. I love the showdown he had with Kenny King to start the match, too. Just because you have Kenny King, who's got the bravado of saying he wanted to be the number one entrant in the Honor Rumble. And then the very next person that comes out is Minaro Suzuki. And just King acting like he's actually going to bring it to Suzuki. And Suzuki just kind of laughing him off. Because Suzuki, even though he does kind of eat a lot of pins in New Japan, he's just... He, the air about him is just undefeated. Never lost. He is just going to kill you something i learned because i actually went to read his wiki uh following watching this and he's a legitimate mma fighter or was a mixed martial art fighter and he like invented his own style or had his own dojo uh and and it just makes me mark out for suzuki so much more because the guy it's not like he does a lot of flashy things in the ring his matches are just i'm gonna beat the crap out of somebody literally and that's what he does and i love minaro suzuki and i just had a talk about him because he's one of the few guys I really have grown attached to watching a lot of New Japan. Yeah, who are the... Because we each picked, I think, three guys to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do we want to just go guy, uh, like person by person we talk about our three guys? We could go... Angelo could, already started on Suzuki. We, I can, yeah, go ahead, Because my last two are kind of like going to be quick ones. Yeah. Uh, another guy that kind of caught my eye while watching New Japan is uh, Toro Yano. Uh, just because his gimmick is very unique and not something you see in a lot of... Uh, I guess Americanized wrestling. I guess Orange Cassidy is the closest comparison in terms of like an American guy that has a gimmick that he is not your traditional wrestler in the ring. Because Yano's entire thing is that he's a salesman. He's very conniving. He's sneaky. Uh, he'll take shortcuts, very obvious shortcuts and obvious misdirections. And I just love him for that because he's just this giant clown jester of nefar- not nefariousness, but he's just like 
I'm going to see what I can get away with. And if it do- works, great. If not, oh, well, I'm selling DVDs anyway. <laughs> I love I love, I love, love seeing uh, Toriyanu matches in the G1 because he always wins one match by putting somebody in the paradise lock outside of the ring and then just getting back in the ring. Yeah, I mean, he, he was the guy that beat Moxley last beat Mox, year at the yep. G1 because, like, Moxley was 5-0 and in the G1 and was killing everybody. And then Toriyanu wins by, like, tying him to one of the young lions on the outside of the ring and then sprinting back in and getting the count out. And he always gets at least one win over a top guy that way. You actually like, called that too. Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. Because it, that's just how they that's just how it always is and it <laughs> it never gets old. I Yano is one of my favorite guys because he he's the guy that just he cheats to win, but he's a baby face because yeah. he's so wholeheartedly like you just feel that this guy just loves cheating. Like, he just enjoys it. like, <laughs> him like the- there, there, there gives, there's nothing that gives Toriano more pleasure in life than just cheating and like hitting a guy in the nuts and then rolling him up and then winning. Him on commentary is just also like very, it, it was a, like a light into Yano's eyes because he's just, sta- he's sitting there, big shit eating grin on his face. Um, he doesn't speak very good English, but like he's like, he's just like, you could sense the energy, uh, and like how much passion he has for my next guy, Colt Cabana, who essentially lets him into the honor rumble. And he's just like, he's just like, uh, when Muda comes out, he's like, oh, scary, scary. And then he eventually goes out there anyway. So like Yano is just this big, giant hysterical guy and it's another reason what shows you like you can have a comedy wrestler still be a big impact on your show he could still be near the top of the card like again you said it he knocked off moxley when they were presenting moxley as this giant like essentially like a uh, suzuki light americanized suzuki because moxley matches for the g1 were just absolute carnage and that would be the best descriptor i have for them and then here comes yano and he beats him because he ties him to a young lion (laughs) It's just so great. Uh, and if uh, Jake, do you want to speak about Yano? Because I know David just said something before I go into my last guy. No, I don't really have anything else to say about Yano. Just that he puts guys in the paradise lock and wins G1 matches is enough. And that he sells DVDs. <laughs> I have. I really want to buy a DVD from Toriyano. <laughs> you were going to buy one of his shirts, weren't you? It's going to be in all Japanese, and I will not be able to understand anything that's going on, but I want to buy his DVD. <laughs> yeah, I almost bought a Toriyano shirt. For uh, the G1, for the G1 Supercard, but I ended up being a complete mark and buying a, a Tetsuya Naito Lij shirt. <laughs> I actually Toriyano was the first New Japan guy I followed on Twitter. <laughs> That's a pretty good choice, I think. All right, and then the last guy I have, and it's a guy that I chose because I know a little bit more about him now after watching him in AEW, and that's Colt Cabana. Uh, Colt Cabana's theme for the Honor Rumble, where it's just like, Colt Cabana. I, th- I thought that was great. It's just like a perfect theme for him. Cause it's, he's the just, same one he, it's the same one he uses in AEW now, too. You see, I haven't seen, uh, I haven't been able to watch AEW in a while. And I know, like, right now, his entire thing is that he's, like, working with the Dark Order, which is, I think, a very interesting storyline. And it's something that I always make sure I read up on. Uh, but Colt Cabana uh, is a guy that I've seen a few matches with him. Uh, I, he was very good on commentary because he doesn't take himself too seriously. I like the way he has the, his diction on in the mic. It's definitely a lot better than mine. Uh, but like him going out there into the honor rumble and just dropping elbows on people, his elbows have a very dusty like flair to them. And uh, I think I chose Colt Cabana because I know David, you love Colt Cabana. Jake, I'm not sure where you land on Colt Cabana. I'm I'm a big Colt Cabana guy. I, hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? <laughs> 
But I was like, I can't, we can't have the honor rumble and not talk about Cole Cabana because I think he's a guy that has shown that how successful you can be as an indie kind of darling. And again, another guy with a comedy gimmick that right now with AEW and that Dark Order storyline, I think that's how you can kind of build from it. And it shouldn't be something that limits you as a wrestler is if you're a comedy guy. But if you really watch Colt work, the guy can really work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, he's a guy that I like to take notes on when I watch noted work. Noted good friend of CM Punk, Colt Cabana. Yes. Former, former good friend of CM Punk. There were some things that happened. Uh, yeah, so, so one of my guys, and you're done, right? Yeah, I'm done. It doesn't matter if you're done. So I had Ishii. Uh, wow, y'all didn't laugh at that. That was funny. Um, my first guy was Ishii because I love the Stone Pitbull. He's one of the guys who really got me into New Japan when uh, when David told me to start watching it. He has a sliding lariat that's always super awesome. And in big matches, he kicks out of finishers at one, which always pops me super hard. Because then he gets up and like just absolutely destroys whoever he's wrestling. I, the um, thing I love about Ishii, too, is that I feel like there's nobody who has better presentation than him even as like a guy who's generally a mid-card guy like his nickname the stone pitbull is the most perfect nickname that you could possibly come up with <laughs> he looks and like a pitbull he looks like he should be playing hockey in it in both just the way he physically looks and the way he wrestles it's perfect. absolutely and he has the best like some shit is going to get messed up entrance music in Maybe in all pro wrestling right now. That time that he wrestled Omega and Omega was literally bleeding from his mouth after the match. I mean, that just tells you everything you need to you need to know about his style. Ishii's another like guy I really love watching too because again he's got similar to Suzuki. Just he beats the crap out of people. And it's not going to look pretty. The thing that surprised me the most with Ishii is just how athletic he is because the way he is built because he's got a very burly upper body and he's kind of got those Jimmy legs. <laughs> But he is he, built like a <laughs> wine barrel. <laughs> but my man can move. He does a lot of cool moves. Like he can do a lot of like knee things, or whether he's just throwing his elbows or uh, running around the ring. He's just so enjoyable to watch. And again, the Stone Pitbull moniker, absolutely perfect for uh, Tomo. Uh, Tom, I forget his first name. Tom, Tomohiro. I, I want to say Tomohiro, but then I was going to say Tanahashi, but that's uh, someone else. There. There are very, very few guys over the past decade who have been in more just amazing matches than Ishii. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ishii, and, and I, I think that that's a testament to him. Um, so my next guy, I don't have a whole lot to say about him because I really don't know much about him. I don't watch a ton of Ring of Honor, but uh, Kenny King, I, I took him only because I know David swears that he saw him uh, afterwards, even though I never saw anybody that, that fits Kenny King's description. But David swears he did. So. It was as we were walking out of the bar. I looked over the table to the left, and I saw a dude who looked. If it wasn't Kenny King, he looked just like Kenny King. I I didn't see anybody that looked like him, but I'll, I'll take your you at your word. Uh, I was just super shocked that he won because there were so many bigger names, and like David said, Muda and Liger were fighting at the end. I was just shocked that he won. I was kind of underwhelmed by him. I but, mean, for me, I liked his entrance. I thought, like, the way he presented himself and wrestling it a lot, a lot of time, like, 80% of it's, like, sheer showmanship. And he's got a lot of showmanship to him. Uh, but, again, he's not a guy that I really know a lot about either because I'm not – again, I don't follow Ring of Honor. But the way he won was 
classic heel tactics, which I do enjoy, and also the fact that he's getting that added heat of throwing out two legends. So you're just building him up to be this absolute heel, which I can appreciate in a in a uh, card that is essentially for not a bad thing, but like fan service. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it kind of goes back, like like Jake said. I mean. Everyone was kind of disappointed that Kenny won. And I mean, it, it kind of is a microcosm of the show itself. Like, people were really hot for the New Japan guys. Like, myself included, and I think you also, like, we were interested in the New Japan guys. Like, the Ring of Honor stuff was there. Yeah. And some of it was good. Some of it was stupid. But <laughs> we were there. We wanted to see, I think most people there wanted to see a New Japan Pro Wrestling show. Yep. And you see it in this Honor Rumble, like ha- like almost all of the Ring of Honor guys who come out get like no, no real pop. little reaction. I mean, maybe the one guy who got like a reaction when as a Ring of Honor guy was probably Colt. Yeah. And that's it. But then all of the New Japan guys got huge reactions. Even dudes like like your boy Bad Luck Fale, Jake's favorite wrestler. <laughs> I despise <laughs> Bad Luck Fale. But they all like even even like Yoshihashi got a pop. And he's like the most boring just nobody dude in all of, you know, New Japan. I mean, but yeah. even he got a big pop. I know? did have some notes on the Ring of Honor guys. Um Shahim Ali had a swing out slam that was really cool. Uh during his like he gets his five seconds, and that was one of the moves he used. I thought that was a really cool uh, move. Also, Brawler Malo- uh, Mil- Malonis, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yes. Absolutely a giant, like a hoss's hoss. Giant man. Yes. Uh, but other than that, yeah, there's not a lot of, there wasn't a lot of Ring of Honor guys that I popped for or knew or were particularly interested by. Now, there are some matches later on, like, is Jeff Cobb, cl- I guess, classified as a Ring of Honor guy for this card? Yes. I mean, yeah. he's a guy that I really love, but the first uh, outside of Kenny King, the next Ring of Honor guy that comes in for me is Ch- Cheeseburger, who Cheeseburger people actually reacted to Cheeseburger. <laughs> because... People love Cheeseburger, man. <laughs> Which and like just, I and you asked you asked me like who is Cheeseburger? And I'm just you know he's a little <laughs> dude and his name is Cheeseburger. That's all <laughs> you need to know about. Uh, but uh, again, it just is like Ring of Honor. The Briscoes, actually, I, I when we get to them, uh, they were another group from Ring of Honor that I was really impressed by. But in terms of this Honor Rumble, they, yeah. Well, we, for for being kind of of a match, we got to move on or move through it. Otherwise, we're going to be here till 12 o'clock tonight. The last yeah. guy that I had was the great Muda because that's one of my favorite pops of all time because it's a delayed pop. His music hits, and if you watch the card or watch the show, everybody's kind of like, aw. Like, we don't even know who this is. And then his name flashes up, and it's just this almighty gasp of, oh my god, I cannot believe the great Muda is here. It's a beautiful thing, and I encourage you to go watch it. Um, but here's here's my trivia question of the night. Uh, the great Muda was in a tag team in WCW with Vampiro. David, can, or Ange, can you name the tag team? I'm not even going to try. I feel like that'd be an insult. <laughs> Do you know it, David? Um, what was it? Uh, was it the Dark Carnival? Was that what it was called? It was the Dark Carnival. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Yo, Dark Carnival. Do not quiz me on like late, late period WCW because I'm going to have that on lock, dude. Yeah, that's 
So the, that's what the Great Moot is mostly known for: is teaming with Vampiro and WCW. So and nothing <laughs> else. Uh, and nothing else. And uh, no, he actually he had a banger with uh, Masahiro Chono in 1993 for the mm. IWGP uh, belt. Super good match. I've seen that one. Apparently, he had a really good match with Takata in '95, which I have not seen. Yes, but the match with with Chono was phenomenal. Just two guys beating the hell out of each other. Beautiful. I um ahead, didn't dude. expect a, uh, a Nobuhiko Takata reference on this episode. <laughs> yeah, big shout yeah, out. He... Big shout out to like one of the big forgotten like huge stars of the '90s, like '95, '96, '97. The dude was selling out like baseball stadiums. <laughs> yeah, Takata and and uh, and Muda had a match in '95. I think it was wrestling Dantaku, if I remember my history correctly, that they wrestled for the belt. Yeah, it was, Good. Uh, apparently Dave Meltzer thought it was great. I have not seen it to say one way or the other. Watching Muda's like entrance and like his what, video package for his entrance, the guy looks like a Scooby Doo monster. And I know for a fact, I, I know, I know for a fact I would have marked out for him hard if I had been watching back then. But it's a good thing I did not go with you guys because when he walked out, I'd be like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Because yeah. I don't know who he is. Yep, I I had only recently, like within the past couple of months, learned who it was from like getting caught up on New Japan and stuff. And uh, actually, I watched that Chono match leading up to it. So by then, I was like, "Oh, that's who that is." Um, but if it had been like six months earlier, I wouldn't have known either. All right, so, I mean, yeah, we, we've spent a lot of time already on the Honor Rumble, and we got a few more matches to get to, so I'm just going to run through my three guys really quick. Number one for me, a guy who I personally think may be the best in-ring wrestler in the world, my guy, Shingo Takagi, is in this match. Doesn't do a whole lot. He comes in early, uh, lasts until, like, kind of, there's like 10 or so-ish people left. He gets tossed out, but... Right after this, he goes on a run in the best of the Super Juniors mm. where he was just unreal and just had like 10 amazing must-watch matches in a row with 10 different people. Um, his match with Will Ospreay in the finals made my eyes bleed. It was so <laughs> great. And I have never seen him have a match, especially since he got to New Japan, that wasn't just 10 out of 10 badass unbelievable he is my guy i love shingo <laughs> the shingo show rivalry i have a greater appreciation for because like i see you see it in this match too with his interactions with show and i just think shows another guy that's gonna be pushed to the moon at some point in new japan i i think show's awesome and yeah it, like you can see it even back then like this is over a year ago and they're still doing it they're like i mean like shingo and show are like Peter Griffin and the giant uh, chicken where they, <laughs> they just have to kill each other. <laughs> that was a good reference. Yeah. Consistent storytelling. Um, uh, my other two guys, number one of them, uh, Hiroki Goto, who shows up late in this match. You're such a Goto Mark. I'm a huge Goto Mark. There's, there's several of us. All right. There's dozens of us. Goto Marks, baby. I am also a Goto um, Mark. Just because Goto is like, he is the ultimate bridesmaid but never a bride you know he always gets pushed up to a certain point and then he loses oh and eight all time in iwgp heavyweight championship matches Ooh. but he is always out there being a badass having good matches you know and every time he wins a big match 
I get I get behind him. I get excited for it. I, I'm ready for the last year when he beat Switchblade on the first night of the G1. I was like, boys, this is it. This is the year of Goto, and I was all hyped up. And then and he then, went like four and five in the in the G1, and it sucked. But maybe this year will be the year of Goto. Hope springs eternal for Goto fans everywhere. And my last guy cannot go without mentioning Jushin Thunder Liger. Maybe the greatest junior heavyweight wrestler of all time. A guy who invented all kinds of moves that we see today. A guy who is a huge influence to just generations of smaller wrestlers, high-flying wrestlers. Got an enormous pop because this was going to be his last uh, appearance in America. I was super excited that I got the chance to see Liger live on the literally the last chance I would probably ever have because he had already announced that 2019 was going to be his last year as an active wrestler. It was cool to see him. And up till the very end, literally up until he retired, he was still having great matches at 50 years old. You know, watch him at Wrestle Kingdom just this past year, like his retirement shows. He is out there looking great and having great matches with like 25 plus years of wear and tear. Guy's awesome. Angela, who did... Who did Liger fight at an NXT takeover? Oh, good. This crap. Is a I, I remember that that was like booked for a little bit. It's I, a it, it's a guy that you're not going to think of. Is he still I've on NXT? No, he's he's on the main he, roster, but you never well, see him. No, ever. no. Okay, well, he actually is wrestling on NXT now again. So this oh, so is he really? So it's Sajakovic yeah, then. Back. No, it's not. No. Are you serious? What? No. What? No. This was Seriously? years ago. Uh, how many years ago? 2016, 2016 maybe? or oh, 17, shit. yeah. Um, it was like it was like Takeover Brooklyn, I think. Like the first Takeover one. Brooklyn, it was like the big special attraction. Is like, oh, we're bringing in Liger. Would it be Finn Balor? Because like that kind of fits. No, it was no, Tyler closer. Breeze. Tyler Breeze, really? Yeah, and it was a Liger. great match. Yeah, they did Liger Breeze at, at Takeover Brooklyn, and yeah, Liger went over, but it was really good. I will say Liger in this match, like it's not a lot, obviously. But I was impressed by he's like fifty something years old and he's looking like he could keep going for another five years. If yeah. that. Oh yeah. He is literally he is fifty five years old right now. Hmm. Um and he was still absolutely killing it up until the end. So I don't think there's ever been a better in ring worker at that age than Jushin Liger. Fair. So that is about, you know, like seven years we spent on the honor rumble. <sighs> and there's like a bunch of more matches we need to get to. So let's just let's just run through them. Next up, first singles match of the night. Winner takes all match for the Never Openweight Championship and the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. It is from Ring of Honor, Jeff Cobb, the big boy, versus the aerial assassin Will Ospreay from New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is a just kick-ass match. It's really, really good. Uh, it's basically a lot of it is Jeff Cobb, who is just the tankiest tank of all time. He, on his character creation screen, he stuck, he put all of his points into strength and all of his points into agility. And you have this <laughs> who there is nobody else like him. He's five foot nine, 270 pounds. And he is just doing all these, like, like jump, jumping around and doing flips and moving real fast. And, He's just one of those guys that, as an athlete, it makes you mad because, I mean, you can work as hard as you can, as for as long as you can, 
and you will never be able to approach the things that Jeff Cobb does because he has freak, <laughs> his freak genetics, and there's nobody else like him in the world. Five foot nine, um, two hundred seventy pounds, and can do a standing backflip. Yes, <laughs> he's a freak of nature. Former uh, former Olympic wrestler, and a lot of this is just him picking up Will and throwing him around, like just picking him up and throwing him across the ring. And Will Ospreay, who is a great athlete and a great bump taker, just literally flying 20 feet in the air and taking these back bumps. Um, And just Cobb, you know, catching him when he's doing these dives and slamming him around with one hand. But Ospreay gets a bunch of great moves in. Um, He's a a great athlete. Uh, Cobb, does a standing moonsault at one point blew my mind yeah i mean but he does that all the time i know and insane. every time i just it blows my mind every time i just can't believe it does it. not make sense no yeah it's it's very startling to see a guy with that size who was built like that who was so thick do the things that Cobb does he is a thick um, boy we cut you know this match is like fast from the beginning and it keeps going um Cobb at one point goes for a huge lariat, but then Will catches him with a big Spanish fly, and then he hits him with a diving drop kick from the top rope. Uh, one of my favorite spots in this match, Osprey goes for the big hidden blade back elbow. Cobb ducks down, dodges it, picks him up, and teases his big slam finisher, the Tour of the Islands. Osprey then spins out of it and reverses it into a sunset flip powerbomb, which looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Osprey hits all his moves. This was the one move that I remember freaking out at while we watched this live. Osprey goes for the os cutter, which is you know his old finisher where he springs off the second rope and jumps backwards into like an RKO. He goes for the os cutter. Cobb catches him, throws him feet first into the corner. Osprey lands on the second rope and then just does the os cutter out from the corner. And lands it. Huge kick out. Will gets him up. uh, Puts Cobb in the corner. Hits his kick in the corner. But then Cobb hits him with the tour of the islands. Off the second rope. Gets him back up. Hits another tour of the islands. And Jeff Cobb wins both belts in 12 minutes and 52 seconds. This match blew my mind when I was there. Because I was like, they're going to put out something really good to start. They're going to give us... And I thought thought it it would either be... Uh, Dalton Castle versus Roosh or this match. And I was so happy it was this match because it was a great opening match. The Tour of the Islands is a great name for a finisher. And I pop hard whenever guys have good names for finishers. It's a great name for um, the finisher and it makes sense for what the finisher is. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like a spin. Like you're giving him a tour, right? I love it. Uh, I love that he hit it off the second rope. Um, like, you know, wherever you see the super moves or whatever. I love that. Uh, something David didn't mention. Cobb has a beautiful five-star frog splash for being like a very stout boy. Um, it looked beautiful when he jumped off. Um, and I also love the idea within New Japan that they have full finishers and half finishers and stuff like that. And I'll probably talk more about that next week in the Okada match. Um, like with the difference between David and I always say the full-powered Rainmaker and just the regular Rainmaker. Because there's a power level difference. Um, but you have like the Oscar Cutter and the Stormbreaker and stuff and the, the Hidden Blade, which he stole from Jericho, but whatever. Um, <laughs> he was doing that, it before Jericho. I am aware, Come David. On. Thank you. Thank you for ruining my joke. Um, 
So yeah, I'll probably talk more about that next week. But I, I, I think that always adds to matches. Yeah, that Oz cutter that David was describing was awesome. I remember watching them just like that. That's ridiculous. But watching the two styles clash, like you have Cobb, who's this powerhouse, and obviously you have Osprey, who's this speedy flippy guy. I love it when you have the matches between those two. It was also especially interesting because Osprey was billed as the taller man, whereas uh, Cobb is shorter. But again, it's not like Cobb can't do agile hmm. stuff. And it's not like Osprey can do can't do strong stuff because you have Osprey picking him up to go for uh, crap. What's the his storm other breaker. Stormbreaker? Stormbreaker. Uh, so this is just an amazing match. I love Jeff Cobb. Uh, watching Cobb Moxley on AEW was an amazing treat for me when that happened. He's a guy that I I think it was Cobb Keith Lee. They told me to watch back when they were like on the Indies. Like really, like in a gym. Was it mm. was it Cobb Keith Lee? I no. mean the 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 like indie Cobb matches that I always recommend are his matches with Bandito because oh, they're yeah. so just alarming. Like they are not. Like when you physically look at those two guys, you think the match is going to be a certain way, and it's literally the opposite of what you think it's <laughs> going to be, and it's amazing. And doesn't he have that tri- uh, the AAA match where he's just like uh, the monster? What's his name? Yeah, well, he wrestled as the monster Matanza Cueto against in, uh, Brian Cage, right? Did he wrestle? Yeah, Brian he Cage? had a bunch of amazing matches. That was like how Jeff Cobb kind of became a name. Like people didn't really know who he was. And then he showed up on Lucha Underground under a mask, and he just was this incredible just destroyer monster, like throwing people around and doing this insane stuff. And then he started getting like booked in a lot of places because he was so awesome. No, like I remember because I was like, I need Jeff Cobb matches to watch. Give me a Jeff Cobb match. And he mentioned the monster of Matanza versus Brian Cage. I went back and yeah. watched it because both hmm. those guys. Cage is another dude who's just his powerhouse, but also has a lot of that flippy shit in his arsenal. And watching two guys that have that quality fight each other, it was just, oh my gosh, it's it's mind-melting. I would recommend it to anybody who's just looking to watch two athletic marvels do amazing things. Just, this is a kick-ass batch. Um, I love it. And it was one of the matches going in that I was super excited for absolutely delivered and i'm glad that it got as much time as it did because there are some other matches later on in the card that i really wish had gotten a little more time yeah but we'll talk about that when we get there moving on from that ring of honor singles match roosh and dalton castle we have dalton, dalton castle with the boys comma the boys Thank you. I got Dalton some real Castle. Steven tyler vibes from dalton castle <laughs> dalton castle's whole thing is like he's the sort of sexually ambiguous glam rock superstar (laughs) and he's super charismatic um and it just really works i think i've always thought it was a great character and he is accompanied everywhere by his scantily clad manservants the boys (laughs) and he comes out you know dressed like a peacock he's being wheeled out on some sort of podium he normally has two boys for his entrance he has a total of eight boys so he really ups the budget for his <laughs> Madison Square Garden debut. Dalton Castle, always a really good worker, but by this point, like last couple of years, he's had some back injuries, so he hasn't really been the same guy in the ring. He but, had a real good match with Cody at Final Battle in like 17, I think. That was right after Cody left WWE um, yeah. for the Ring of Honor Championship, I think. Really good match. Yeah, he was really, really over as a babyface. Yeah. It's, it's like 
one of the only times in recent years that Ring of Honor, I feel like, has pulled the trigger on a guy at the right time when they made him the champ. And yep. then his reign kind of sucked because his back got really messed up. Yeah. Which sort of sucked, but like you can't, I mean, that just sort of happens. People get hurt. But I digress. Dalton Castle comes out, huge confetti for his entrance. And if you notice when you watch the show, the entire rest of the night, the entrance ramp is covered in Dalton Castle's confetti. They never actually <laughs> clear it off. Then you have Roosh, best known as the original founder of Los Ingobernables in Mexico, alongside La Sombra, who is now known as Andrade in WWE, and that Tetsuya Naito turned into LIJ in Japan. I am sitting in the stands wearing an LIJ t-shirt, so <laughs> I'm fully on board with Roosh. He comes out in the white suit and a bull mask, and he looks like a god. I mean, he looks so freaking cool. Um, so they ring the bell and, uh, Roosh immediately sprints at Dalton Castle, shotgun dropkick into the corner, one bull's horn running dropkick into the corner, two bull's horns running dropkicks into the corner, and Roosh pins him in 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and then that was it. The match ended. Then, then we went it. into the I next mean, match. I, 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 it, 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 it makes me happy that Dalton Castle you know, has so much trust in his boys that he would never turn on his boys. No, he would never turn on the boys. Because what is Dalton Castle without the Without boys? the boys. How could Dalton Castle ever turn on the boys? But then... But then Dalton Castle murders the boys. <laughs> and he just he beats the hell out of the boys. And I am sitting... Like, one of my favorite wrestling videos of all time is the video of... Seth Rollins turning on the shield <laughs> Raw in 2014, 15, whatever it was, because it's a great moment in and of itself. But what makes it a little bit better is because there is a moment where it becomes apparent that Seth is about to turn on the shield and hit them with a the chair and he's about to hit Roman with a chair. But before he actually does it, there is a moment where you realize, oh, God, it's about to happen. And in that moment, if you watch the video, you can hear a guy in the stands just yell, no, <laughs> like Darth Vader at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> and that was me in the stands for this when uh, Dalton Castle turned on the boys. Can confirm. Screaming a huge no in the upper deck of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> as Dalton I can Castle confirm. David, David was hurt when he turned on the boys. It was brutal. Yeah. Now, as someone that does not have a lot of Dalton Castle experience, I will say both of these guys came out and the way the air about them was very great. I thought Roosh, again, looks like a million bucks, a guy that you could push to the moon easily. Dalton Castle, obviously a guy that built his gimmick and that gimmick got him over, which is always a good thing to see. But he absolutely was in the right to turn on the boys. How dare that boy leave that feather in the ring, causing Dalton Castle to be distracted and lose his match. The boys had it coming. The boys screwed the boys, dude. Absolutely. I am never going to speak to either one of you. <laughs> the boys did nothing wrong. I will say, watching that on YouTube and just hearing the reaction when you see Dalton Castle's face just turn and just grimace while he's looking at the boys... Dude, he legit, great, like, great. like that first one that he slammed, like, he slammed him on his neck. Murdered him. Yeah. It's a good thing. If you want, the boys actually wrestle sometimes. They're actually pretty good. Oh, I can tell. They're, they, they remind me of, like, Marco stunt types. They're, they're actually pretty good. Um, 
the, the the problem with that is like turn Dalton Castle heel here, and you know they they kind of just didn't really do anything with them, and uh, the boys have not been seen at all since then. And Ooh. I feel like you could do something with that, but they just never have. So, R.I.P. to the boys. Shot I, to I Castle's carry... basement where it is covered with the boys. I I wanted to burn down Dalton Castle's house after this. I felt. I, I, just, I was apoplectic at the betrayal of the boys. Let's move on before David has an aneurysm. Women of Honor World Championship match. Mayu Iwatani defending the title against Kelly Klein. This was a match that, you know, watching it back, it's a solid match. There was no heat for it at all. I mean, this this sort of felt like the, uh, the pee break match. And I mean, I stayed for it. I watched it again. I thought it was a good match. Iwatani, especially, is a very, very good worker. But they, like, the the Booker screwed her, or screwed them because they put them after Osprey Cobb and Roosh Dalton Castle. You know what I mean? Like, like we get we get so up for that. You get the great match, then you get the big shock, and then they put the women out there for for a title match. That just it shocked me. I think a bigger problem with it though is. They have Ring of Honor has never made any effort, yeah, to promote their women's division at all, or even really like have a meaningful one in any way. Yeah, and so like this was about as good of a match as they could have put out there, and it mm-hmm. it is fine. It's a solid match, but they've never really tried to develop it at all, and th- like. When Ring of Honor kind of shows that they don't care at all about the women, then the crowd is in turn going to follow suit and not care at yeah. all. But in this in and of itself, as a match, it's it's solid. Um, a lot of Kelly, you know, working the leg early on. Um, the bigger woman doing some power moves. Mayu uh, does, a, who again, is an excellent worker. Does some pretty cool moves. She does a, a really big cross body to the outside off the top rope. And then later on, Kelly gets her up for a power bomb and she spins around and hits a poison rana, which was really cool. Kelly later does a huge release German suplex where it looks like Mayu Iwatani lands directly on her head. It was, it was a really spooky looking one. Um, Mayu then gets right back up, immediately gets killed with just this giant lariat. I thought that was really sweet. Um, Mayu at one point hits, this was, I thought, really cool how they did this. She hits a uh, a dragon suplex and into a bridging pin, but the way Kelly comes down, she lands with her foot on the rope, which I thought was great the way they you, executed that. You know how I feel about foot on the rope spots. Yes, you're a bi- I'm also a big foot on the rope spot guy. Um, Mayu misses on a moonsault, and then Kelly hits her finisher, which is sort of like a fireman's carry slam. Hits it twice in a row and wins the match and the title 10 minutes and 38 seconds. And then afterwards, they have a segment that goes on for like a half hour. I swear mm. to God, in the arena, this felt like it took forever. Absolutely. Where Velvet Sky and Angelina Love, who are, you might remember them a if TNA. you're a nerd from TNA in like 2010, maybe. They I had remember them. They had a faction called the Beautiful People. They show up and they kind of confront Kelly. And as she's turned around, Mandy Leone, who's another uh, 
kind of pretty women's wrestler who was on commentary for this match, uh, runs up behind her, attacks her, Kelly gets beaten up, and it is the debut of a new faction called The Allure, which they also never really did anything with because they don't care about the women's uh, wrestling in Ring of Honor. And again, this, I cannot stress enough, in the building, this felt like it took seven years. Nobody could tell. Yeah, and nobody could tell who those women were like, like as they walked down, like you, you, you couldn't really tell who they were. They didn't, re- they didn't say anything hardly. You just couldn't, you know. So th- that's another reason it fell flat. In a vacuum, I mean, let's talk about the match first. I mean, Dave, like you said, the match itself was pretty good. I thought the story that they told during the match was even better because uh, they're talking about the history between the two of them. It's two, uh, two wins to two wins apiece. Uh, Kelly sending her crew back to the locker room so it's a legitimate one-on-one match i kind of got the feeling like she was the big heel coming in and this was kind of a way to make her a face uh throughout the match even though she's targeting the leg it's not like she's using heel tactics uh that cloverleaf choke she has early on was actually a really cool submission move that i have not seen before uh but again you see the story tell tell itself yeah kelly's targeting mayu's knee kelly's kind of growing as a wrestler she's not relying on cheap tricks uh, and then obviously you have the post match. If they were doing something with that women's division, that would have been a really cool story to see play out. Um, it sucks here that they're not. Uh, the belly to black back two was just a ridiculous spot where it, Mayu just gets absolutely rag- ragdolled. She sold like hell in this match, Mayu, and that was kind of the thing I took away the most. Like Mayu is someone that we're gonna see a lot of like in the future, somewhere. Yeah, I mean Mayu was somebody. She still works in Japan primarily. And for a long time, like the three, like she was one of the three, like top, I feel like three top Japanese women's wrestlers. It was like her, Kairi Sane, and Io Shirai. And it was like those three were always mentioned in the same sentence. And now those two have gone on to, you know, a lot of success in WWE and everyone loves them and thinks they're great. And She's still, you know, she's she hasn't done that. She hasn't signed with, you know, WWE or anybody. But, like, that's the level she was considered to be at. Jake, you have any thoughts? No, I I mean, I pretty much covered it. Like, this, I was I was really disappointed because I, I, I like debuts and I like whenever, you know, you get, like, whenever factions are made, I like whenever um, new people debut. But, like you said, it just fell so flat. Like, I don't think that no, I don't think there was the, the, that there was nobody that was interested, but you couldn't tell who the women were that were debuting. So everybody was like, "Who is that?" There was like it was like a bunch of murmuring instead of no noise at all. Yeah. So I think they wanted to care, but they just there was nothing they couldn't for you know for various reasons. Well, the crowd got a little bit more up for this next match. First off, we have this guy <laughs> named Mega Ran who is a rapper. <laughs> I've looked him up. He apparently like has a Wikipedia page and everything. He's not a complete nobody, but he oh, shows he up. Was. No, <laughs> apparently not. I I remember this. I had never heard of him, but I it didn't. It took me until literally today to actually look this guy up. Um, he comes out. He's wearing a colorful Tetris blazer and a T-shirt that says uh, Dewey Decibel System for some reason on it. Um, he is rapping his uh, special song specifically for this show called Going to the Garden. 
Everybody is booing him. Every single person in the arena is booing him. And then Bully Ray shows up, better known as Bubba Ray Dudley from ECW and then for years and years in WWE, member of the legendary tag team, the Dudley Boys. He shows up. Everyone's giving him, we want tables chance. He stares him down. And then he shoves Mega Ran down and hits him with a chain, and Mega Ran gets sent on his way. He's got a New York City street fight open challenge that originally was going to be him and Juice Robinson. But Juice Robinson was mysteriously laid out backstage earlier in the night. So who's going to take the challenge? Well, it's Flip Gordon, who at the time, this was actually a really big surprise. He got a big pop. He had been injured for a long time. He had come back, and then he had gotten injured again. So it was considered very, very unlikely that Flip Gordon was going to wrestle. I mean, most people assume that Flip was not going to be able to wrestle that night. But it's Flip, and he looks great, and he's in great shape. Everyone's excited for Flip. This is, you know, two years ago, a year and a half ago, back when people were still really excited for Flip Gordon, and then he just kind of disappeared in a ring of honor, and nobody's really thought about him in a year and a half. But... He comes out and he just goes at Bully Ray and, you know, hits a bunch of moves. This is the, it's the weapons match. We got tables. We got a bunch of chairs. Um, Flip is about to hit Bully Ray with a kendo stick when two other goonish heels that nobody really cares about show up. Silas Young and Shane Taylor are in the ring. They show up. They're buddies with Bully Ray. They beat up Flip. They lay him out on a table. They're about to beat him with a, with a stick. And then the lights go out. And it's Juice Robinson, who was magically healed from getting murdered backstage 45 minutes ago. And one of my favorite wrestlers who no one ever talks about how great he is, Mark Haskins, who I think is awesome. They both show up. Juice brings out a literal dumpster full of weapons. And he says, it's not going down like that in the world's most famous arena. Let's make it a three-on-three match. So it is now a three-on-three street fight. Juice, Mark Haskins, and Flip Gordon versus Bully Ray, Shane Taylor, and Silas Young. And from here on out, it's just a hardcore match. It's a lot of weapons. Um, At one point, uh, all three guys face off with each other, and they all have kendo sticks. It's like Attack of the Clones, like the Battle of Geonosis at the end of the movie. Um, (laughs) They beat up everybody. And then they all face down Bully Ray, all the good guys against Bully Ray. Both Juice and Flip are dual-wielding kendo sticks. It's pretty sweet. Um, my fa- there's, there's a lot of violence done to Bully Ray's balls in this match. And you can tell because every time uh, Bully Ray just screams about how his balls hurt. So at one point, Bully Ray power bombs Flip off the second rope through a table, which is great. Um, and then Haskins and Juice come up behind him, grab his legs, and pull him into groin first into the ring post. And you hear Bully Ray just go, "My balls," <laughs> which I love because I didn't, I can't hear that up in the upper deck when I am at MSG. But watching this back on YouTube, I could hear Bully Ray scream, "My balls," and I loved it. I popped for it. But yeah, just a lot of stuff on you know stomps onto chairs. Uh, Juice at one point cannonballs Shane Taylor through a shipping pallet. <laughs> Finally, the good guys take over. Uh, Haskins, they do the 
Haskin gets up on the top rope. They do the old Dudley boys, what's up, headbutt. Afterwards, Bully Ray screams, my balls again. <laughs> Juice hits a spine buster. Flip hits the 450 splash. And the good guys win in 15 minutes and one second. This, you know what, live, this didn't get over very well. At least I didn't think. Um, I thought that I thought I was into it. I feel like people were into it. You know, people cool people popped for Flip, and I think they would have liked it more if it had just been Bully versus Flip Gordon the whole time. I think they would have been way more into it. Um, I did like Juice having the the bin full of weapons. That was that was pretty fun. And um, honestly, my notes mostly just say I thought it went kind of long. I I guess I just mostly wasn't into it because it's like you said, it was like two nameless guys and Bully Ray. You know, you, you kind of know that the good guys are going to win. The one spot that I wrote down was the double chair spot from the, I think it was, I think it might have been Bully and Flip, if I remember correctly. Um, and it made me think of uh, Adam Cole and Alistair Black in uh, TakeOver Philly. Uh, Alistair hits him with an attitude adjustment onto the backs of two chairs back to back, and it looked like it legitimately broke Adam Cole's back. So that's, that's pretty much the best thing to come out of that match for me. Yeah, I don't have a lot of match for, um, notes for this one. Uh, again, I think that for me, I don't know who most of these guys are anyway, and this match did kind of run pretty long. I will say Silas Young kind of impressed me a little bit in this match. He had that stalling handstand, uh, flipping moons. Yeah, like the, the, Arabian, the Arabian moonsault off the second rope onto the chair. Yeah, that was really was cool. Totally, like, totally just a complete tribute to Sabu. Absolutely. <laughs> and then he, uh, uh, again, I think he had that uh, spot uh, where he has the fireman's carry. And the, how fast he slingshots out of the fireman's carry into that like rolling slam was really cool. Bully Ray saying my balls was always funny because he's like a cartoon character saying my balls. Uh it's amazing that he's kind of aged as well as he possibly could have because he's still able to put on these matches. Uh, it's kind of wild to me because that guy looks old, but he's still doing this hardcore crap. Uh, and then here's something that I kind of noted, and it, it was still apparent to me the second time I watched it, so I wrote it down anyway. Juice has a lot of HBK in his, the way he punches, the way he dictions, the way he sells. I don't know. I kind of got HBK, a little bit of an HBK from him. I think that's a hot take if I'm being honest. Not this kind of a hot take, but I love Juice. I'm a big <laughs> Juice guy. I think he's a great worker. I think he's really charismatic. I always think that my wrestling experience is improved when Juice <laughs> Robinson is involved. I do like that. the Juice punches, like Juice, Juice. I do like that. I'm not saying like he is HPK, but like there's a lot of mannerisms that he has that remind me of him. You, but, you but, have a lot of hot takes, though, so I, I'll let I you do. go. But like, <laughs> he, hey, but does you, he ooze charisma, Angelo? <laughs> a little bit. I, I don't think we've hit my oozing charisma guy yet. But uh, I will say his match with Moxley for the IWGP US title was one of my favorite matches I think I've ever watched. Yeah, for sure. Great match. My favorite juice moment of all time, two G1s ago, he pinned Kenny Omega the year that Kenny won the G1. Uh, when Kenny had him up for the one-winged angel and Juice rolled through into a victory roll and pinned him and was basically freaking out after the match because he couldn't believe that he had just pinned Kenny Omega. <laughs> and I like when, you know, when somebody gets a big win, act like you care. 
I feel like a lot of people try to be too cool and be like, yeah, I won. But Juice was like freaking out. And it made you just, it, it endeared him to you and made you like him more. And I thought that was cool. And I big respect to Juice because he's really good. Moving on to the triple threat match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Pound for pound, going into this card, there was probably not a single match I was looking forward to more. Maybe Ibushi Naito. But there's other than that, there probably wasn't a single match I was looking forward to more than this one. Taiji Ishimori defending the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title against Dragon Lee and Bandito. And whereas the street fight, it's the weapons match. Get a bunch of weapons and guys do stuff with them. And they hope, you know, they get a pop and they get the fans into it by doing stuff with weapons. This, on the other hand, is the moves match. It's only nine minutes long. And it should have been longer. And when I was saying earlier on that there were some matches that could have gotten more time and they could have reduced some of the other BS that happened on this card to give some more shine to some of the guys, this is specifically what I'm referring to because I can't believe these guys only got nine minutes. But it is nine minutes of these guys, three great athletes, going full speed, just doing crazy moves. And... I thought this match was awesome when I watched it live. My face was melting off when I watched it again this morning. So Bandito is amazing. He is doing just crazy, insane flip dives 30 seconds into this match. Dragon Lee does this insane step-up Frankensteiner off the apron, and then immediately Ishimori runs in and does the Ibushi Golden Triangle moonsault over the top rope off the second turnbuckle to the outside. Uh, Dragon Lee just does a million billion moves in a row on everybody. Uh, he hits a huge sit-out powerbomb on Ishimori. This was, and then you go to my, you know, just a crazy spot. Bandito does a springboard Frankensteiner. Immediately Ishimori runs in, does his spinning head scissors bulldog face buster, slams a guy into the mat. Immediately into Dragon Lee, sprinting back up into a running Canadian destroyer. All three guys are laid out after this. The crowd is going crazy at this point. This is getting, you know, this is awesome chance, everything. Bandito hmm. hits a pop-up cutter on Ishimori when Ishimori bounces. like Ishimori is like 10 feet in the air. Bandito throws him up so high. Um, Ishimori counters the uh, Dragon Lee's finisher, the Desnukadora, into a big Hurricane Rana. Uh, then he hits his finisher, the bloody cross, but Lee kicks out of it. Biggest spot of the match, the moment that I remember losing my mind, Bandito, who is like listed at like five foot eight, 165 pounds, not very big guy, but guarantee he can bench press like 400. <laughs> he is so strong that it is absurd for a guy his size. Does a moonsault side slam off the top rope to both guys at the same time. He literally picks up two men at the same time while balancing on the top rope. And these guys are a combined like 360 pounds. And he picks up both guys at the same time, deadlifts them while standing and balancing on the top rope, and then does a flip off the top rope onto both of them, which is absolutely insane. 
And then Dragon Lee is the first guy up. He gets up. He knees everybody in the head. He hits the Desnucadora, which is basically like a vertical suplex into a powerbomb. Gets the pin on Bandito. And Dragon Lee is the new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. I personally, at this point, am sitting in the upper deck. My, you know, I, I am shaking. All of my limbs are shaking after this match. I am sitting there screaming for Hiromu Takahashi to show up. I felt it. I felt that he was going to be there. And he never showed up. Now, And I was very sad. Jake, you were laughing at me because I haven't said my trademark yet. Here it is. You wonder who's using charisma? All three of these guys. All three <laughs> of them. I can't pick one. I mean, first you have Bandito, who uh, comes out, Super Lucha Libre. Uh, same thing with Dragon Lee. All Both those guys just... Again, I, I, the air about this match, this could have been the main event. And if I'm looking back at how we're splitting this up, this should have been the last match we talk about because it was just an absolute mind melter. And then you have Taiji Ishimori come out. I haven't seen a lot of him in New Japan. Like I, Most of the time I see him as a lackey and he's just kind of messing with thing, method, messing around with uh, other Bullet Club members. He's so good. But holy so good. shit. I, when he came out, when I first saw this match, I'm like, okay, so these two guys are going to carry the match, and then Ishimori is going to be there. And I could not be more wrong because Ishimori comes out, and I'm I'm losing my mind because this is breaking my. It's literally causing an aneurysm in my head. Uh, Bandito hits an X knee in this match, which is just absolutely insane in terms of like how much strength that guy has in terms of to manipulate someone his size uh, to that position. Uh, the Hurricane Rana off the apron, followed by the Moonsault off the post by Ishimori that uh, David had mentioned. Uh, Dragon Lee's combo in the corner, which led to a shotgun dropkick. Uh, the height, the absolute height that you see on that cutter that Ishimori takes. This match was so good, and the fact that it's only 10 minutes, I'm trying to imagine watching that for 20 minutes straight, and I just can't because I think at that point I would just die from just pure wrestling nerd uh, aneurysm because it was just so good. This match was amazing, and again, this is probably my favorite match that uh, on this first half of the card. It was just... All three of these guys were great. I would have believed any one of them could have won the match. Um, I really thought it was Bandito uh, when he hit that uh, power move from the top rope. And, but seeing Dragon Lee win for a guy from CMLL, it was, you know, it, it was just an, an awesome, awesome match. So while I did think that it was a lot of, that it was a lot of fun, you know, I, I can't, I can't put this in my upper echelon of matches because it only went nine minutes. And I know that's not the fault of the guys involved, but I got to have more than that. I got to have more substance. And, uh, I'm going to be honest, you know, I'm going to fall into the category of guys who are like, oh man, that was a match. It was a bunch of flippy shit. Like it was, and I like that a lot, but I sometimes felt that they were just like, all right, guys, we have 10 minutes. Let's get all of our stuff in and then get out of here. You know? But can you no, blame them for that? You're no. right. You're right. I mean, that's what it was because they only got nine minutes. Nine, right. Madison, these guys are in Madison Square Garden. They're like, okay, guys, let's go balls out and do a bunch of stuff. Right. And they right. do it, and it's just – it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I'm not saying it wasn't a, it wasn't a bunch of fun because it was great, but it's like – I don't know. I feel like there's a distinction between like a fun match and a great match. Does that make sure. sense? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I, with that, with that despair, with that, you know, difference in mind though, this is an insanely fun match to watch for nine. Oh, abso- absolutely. Like I, I was sitting there losing my mind because I love Ishimori. And whenever he was introduced as, um, 
Bone Soldier, uh, whenever he came back into um, New Japan. Oh my god, that was so much fun because David and I both thought we were like, we were Bone like, Soldier uh, is no. their big reveal. Angelo, then- <laughs> do you are you aware of the Bone Soldier mythos? <laughs> Vaguely, I'm aware that it seems like it's a character because his entire edge is like Bone Soldier reborn. So I imagine yeah. there, there was a well, previous so, Bone Soldier. Once upon a time. There was a guy by the name of Captain New Japan. Oh, yes. I love the Captain New Japan. Captain, Captain fucking New Japan. <laughs> I love that named, clip. There is a guy <laughs> named Captain New Japan who was just the absolute, like, bottom of the card, just, like, comedy guy who never wins ever. He is, like, on the New Japan power level uh, rankings. Like, if Okada is a 10, he is a 0.0. He's Yamcha. He is Yamcha. If Okada is Goku, then he's Yamcha. So, and then in, like, 2017, he uh, turns heel and joins the Bullet Club. And it's like, nobody has ever asked for this. This is dumb. He starts dressing up like a skeleton. He calls himself Bone Soldier. He has, like, three really terrible matches. He looks ridiculous. And then it just ends and they get rid of them and no one ever talks about it again. It's like the most embarrassing thing to ever happen to anybody. And then like two years later, they start advertising the return of Bone Soldier. <laughs> it's like, no, what is this? Why are they doing this? No one, nobody wants Bone Soldier back. But then it's Taiji Ishimori as Bone Soldier, who is like actually like known as a really good wrestler. And he just shows up and he's wearing like a skeleton mask and just having all these really cool matches. And everyone's like, okay, well, this this could have been a lot worse. Like, this could have been the actual Bone Soldier, but instead it's Taiji Ishimori with a new nickname. And it's great. Objectively, Bone Soldier is a really cool name. Eh, yeah. I think it's a little try-hard, but... Well, yeah, it's try-hard, but, like, it's kind of self-aware try-hard whenever they gave it to Ishimori. Sure. Yeah. Because it had already been, like, acknowledged as, like, a joke and a failure. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, Absolutely. they built it up, like, Bone Soldier's back, but actually it's good now. <laughs> okay, cool. Actually, it's good now. Yeah. But I, I just want to, before we move on, we have one more match to talk about. I just want to give such a huge shout out to Bandito. He's <laughs> one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. Talk about how freakishly strong he is for a guy his size, while also being a junior heavyweight, being able to wrestle the junior heavyweight style as well or better than anybody but also being freakishly strong and being able to do all these power moves. He, and also looking like a God with his entrance and the mask, like he dresses up, like he looks like a, like the leader of a mariachi band and he's got the mask on. He looks amazing. He's got the huge sombrero. He looks so cool. And this is what I was talking about. The Jeff Cobb bandito matches. If anyone can go out and watch them for PWG, because you see Jeff Cobb being the size that he is. And you see Bandito being the size that he is, five foot eight, 170 pounds. And you expect this to be, you know, a big guy, little guy match. But it ends up being Jeff Cobb as the high flyer and Bandito doing the power moves. Hmm. And it is just the opposite of what you would expect. And it is amazing. I will say. And I just highly recommend anyone watching those if you can find them online. After this match, I needed, I've decided that I need to go back and watch Bandito Roosh. Because I f- they mentioned they kept allu- uh, alluding to that match throughout the night with those two guys, and I just feel like with those two, 
it's probably going to make me go insane with how good it is. Yeah, pretty great. Moving on to our final match of this half of the show. A winner-take-all four-way tag team match for both the IWGP Tag Team Championships and the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. It is the Briscoe Brothers from Ring of Honor. Los and Gobernables de Japón, Evil and Sonata from New Japan Pro Wrestling. The ROH Tag Team Champions, Villain Enterprises, PCO and Brody King. And the IWGP Champions from New Japan, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatonga and Tongaloa in a four-way match. And again, this is a bunch of moves crammed into about 10 minutes. Everybody kind of gets a little bit. Everybody kind of gets their stuff in. Uh, PCO is sort of the star of the match as this freakish 52-year-old giant man who is killing himself and doing crazy dives immediately into the match. Uh, Brody King, who is a big guy, who's another great athlete, does some cool stuff in this match. He hits a big Frankensteiner on Tangelo at one point, then does a cannonball on him, then he immediately does a huge flip dive to the outside. Mark Briscoe, who, remember, the Briscoe brothers are like the OG tag team in Ring of Honor. They've been great for like 18 years now. Um, Briscoe has some moments in this match. He hits a big corkscrew moonsault to the outside. Um, the Briscoes look like they have this match won about midway through. Jay Briscoe hits the J-Driller, which is a the double underhook pile, sit-out pile driver, his finisher. And then Mark Briscoe immediately hits the diving elbow on the Sonata, but Brody King comes in, breaks up the pin. This is, uh, then, then PCO goes ham. PCO goes crazy <laughs> right after this. He does a somersault senton onto the ring apron onto Mark Briscoe. I am told by the way, that the ring apron is the hardest part of the ring. Never heard that before. That is news that, to me. Brody King hits the Gonzo bomb. PCO then hits a big moonsault, but Gorilla's destiny coming and break it up. Then, G.O.D., they literally just pick PCO up and then they throw him over the top rope onto the floor. And they he literally just, they throw him out of the ring over the top rope and he just lands on his back on the floor. And then he just sits up like the Undertaker. <laughs> and you hear, you, they, they flash into the crowd and you see a guy just yell, no fucking way. And it's one of the only times that I really liked uh, when they flash into the crowd at a big moment like that, because I felt like that guy was representing me because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I said the same thing at that exact time. I remember freaking out when PCO was doing all this stuff and just yelling, I drove four and a half hours to see PCO. And by God, I was seeing PCO. But they go back into the ring Shado, who is accompanied, uh, Grills of Destiny, their manager, old guy who dresses up like a skeleton and carries a kendo stick around everywhere, hits Brody King with the kendo stick into the gun stun from Tama Tonga, which is basically the RKO, a super power bomb off the top rope from Tongaloa, and the Grills of Destiny win both belts in nine minutes and 45 seconds. They do an angle at the end where that dastardly god of mischief, Toru Yano, runs in and steals the title belts and he runs away with them, laughing at them. Because he does that sometimes. But <laughs> nobody in... We have to talk about this. 
Nobody in the stands was watching this because of the infamous Enzo and Cass angle. <laughs> oh my God. This we was have the to talk greatest about this thing. Because Jake and I can talk about this. Angelo, you can't really because you weren't there. I'll, I'll and they the- completely no sell it on the mm-hmm. on the broadcast. They do not acknowledge it at all. You can kind of see some commotion going on ringside and some guy with weird beach blonde hair kind of getting beaten up or something. But that's it. But we were there and we saw it. Enzo and Cass, formerly of WWE, who had been released due to uh, just tons of ridiculous BS that from, from both of them. Uh, jumping the rail and getting into a fight with the Briscoe brothers, getting into a fight with Bully Ray who ran down from backstage. Bully Ray looked pissed too. But I'm talking like ready for blood. It turns out, of course, to be a work. But, like, there was that moment of doubt at first. Remember, if you, if you, I mean, I, I know, Jake, you could talk about it. You were there with me. But you kind of, like, at first, you're like, wait, what the hell is going on? What is this? And then you kind of realize, like, wait, this is going on a little bit too long for this to be real. See, I actually, the, the entire time, I thought it was legit because I... Uh, Enzo had tried to infiltrate uh, WWE pay-per-views before, so I thought this was this was legit until I saw Cass. And once I saw Cass, I was like, eh, I don't know. But I I believed up until probably the next day when I was reading Cage Side or somebody that it was legit because that's the stupid stuff that Enzo would try to do. Sure. And whenever um you know the whole story is like or not story, but Bully Ray's reputation backstage is as a guy who is a legit enforcer. And if you screw around, he's going to shoot, beat you up. And when he walked down the ramp and met Enzo and Cass, I thought he was going to legitimately kill them because of how angry he looked. And then he just goes to town along with all the security guys. And I don't know, man, I, they had me, they got me. Cause I was, I was prepared to be like, wow, that was bold by Enzo and Cass. But honestly, one of the most unbelievable moments that I could have hoped to have been a part of. Enzo and Cass, I remember watching them on like Raw, and I enjoy Enzo's promo cutting as much as the next guy. And it's a shame that he's legitimately insane. Otherwise, WWE would have had gold on their hands because he, as a manager, would be incredible because the way he commands the mic is like nothing else. The smack talker Skywalker, as uh, he likes to put it. It's just, he's so good on the mic, and then he does this, and it is, I am upset because I don't get to see a lot of it here. I remember being on Twitter as this was happening and just seeing the reactions of everyone in the wrestling community (laughs) just lose their minds, and then reading more about this, because this happens today, uh, in April, and then a few days later, someone tries to do it for the Bret Hart uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction speech as well. So and then the revival guys beat the hell out of that dude. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like it's nice to see that wrestling it has that close knit community cuz even though like in kayfabe that it, it they hate each other to stand up for one another I think is really really cool. But watching the Briscoes cuz you do see a little bit go on on the sides. But watching the Briscoes and then you have Bully Ray run down just beating like throwing haymakers at <laughs> just someone you cannot see but you see for a little bit in on the YouTube video. You see you can make out what's very clearly Enzo. 
Uh, you don't see a lot of big casts, but just seeing the Briscoes literally look like they are about to drag this person out of the arena and find a nice dumpster to light them up in. Uh, but this the the, the it match just, itself is definitely like a like uh like at the time for us was definitely like in the back of our minds at this yeah, point. And that's a shame because this match is actually pretty darn good for. Th- the fact that they have eight people involved and it's pretty much a tornado tag match, it's a very good match for what it is because even though you have all those guys, you get to see a lot of them in there. Uh, David, the first thing I have to ask is remember when Evil was in LIJ? Oh, do I ever, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But... Oh, my God. But, uh... They compare Sonata to LeBron in terms of having the same vertical height uh, during the intro, uh, his intro, which I was like, huh, that's a, that, that's a, uh, that's a factoid. Uh, the Briscoes being from Delaware was another thing that I was surprised by because I coast when they were from Texas originally. Are they- Sandy Fork, Delaware. So they're not from Texas at all. I'm just imagining Sandy that. Fork versus everybody. <laughs> and I will say the Briscoes really surprised me because I obviously you hear a lot about the Briscoes if when you start watching wrestling or I hear from you guys. Um, I was always figured them as more as brawlers or bruisers, kind of like a bully Ray type in terms of yeah they're not the biggest but they're gonna like just hit the hit the hell out of you. When they started doing flippy shit, I was very caught off guard. I'm like, wait a second, what? <laughs> These two those guys, guys are super cool. Those two guys are flipping around the ring, and I was like, "All right, the Briscoes had me, the, the hook, line, and sinker, sinker." Uh, just really cool. They were they worked this match really well. Angelo, my my homework assignment for you is to watch the Briscoes versus the Young Bucks versus SCU Ladder War at Final oh my Battle. God, that sounds awesome. Twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, one of those two years. Watch that. Gladly, gladly. Um, I kind of saw some similarities between the Shield and uh, Gorillas of Destiny in terms of their entrance, um, and the way they're presented too. I think that's kind of, I like that gimmick, the uh, tag team gimmick, so to speak. Um, it gives them a serious edge to them, and I thought Tonga and Loa, you know, they deliver pretty well in the ring. And even though they're two guys, I really haven't seen a lot of in New Japan. PCO's entrance, though. That's that's an entrance. That was so cool. <laughs> I loved it so much because you could see you could see how much time they're taking to set up, and it's like okay, cool, fine, whatever. But the payoff for that is just perfect because you see him like be reanimated as a monster, and I think that gimmick kind of works too because you see him just kind of take that bump over the ropes oh and sit God. up. But because he's like out of steam or out of power, he can't get up all the way, and I kind of like that in terms of the storytelling. Well, that, that, that gimmick, too, is like the reanimated, like, zombie Superman. It works for PCO just because <laughs> of the way his career went. Mm-hmm. Like, he was in the WWF in, like, the early to mid-90s. I did read and that. Then, and then disappeared, like, kind of disappeared for a long time. And then retired for a while. And then came back a few years ago. And it's like, oh, yeah, remember Quebecer Pierre from the WWF? <laughs> He's That's now my favorite doing, part. He's now only doing moonsaults to the floor and just taking bumps <laughs> on the concrete from 30 feet up and literally killing himself every day. I, I know uh, David already said that we drove four and a half hours to, P- to see PCO, but I drove four and a half hours to see Quebec or Pierre. So I was disappointed. Uh, Sonata's <laughs> uh, doing the Paradise Lock early on to, I believe it was Loa. Um that got a little cheap laugh for me because it's just a guy pretty much hogtied by his imagination. Yeah. I love the paradise lock because like in real life, 
It's so stupid. Like, there's no way you could actually tie a guy up with his own limbs and they wouldn't be able to get out. You would just get out. But in kayfabe, you can put a guy in the paradise lock and they are they are completely unable to get out of it. Even, like, the most serious wrestler in the world. Like, I've seen Sonata put Minoru Suzuki in the, in the uh, paradise lock. <laughs> like, the most serious wrestler in the world can't get out of it unless you, like, dropkick the guy on the ass. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um... Evil's home run with the chairs. I love it when Evil starts doing stuff like that. Uh, and then you have the Briscoe's combo finisher, which was that uh, double R underhook pile driver into the froggy bow. I thought that was really cool as well. Uh, the end of the match, I mean, Brody King was very impressive. Like, all these guys on their own, honestly, the least impressive team was Grills of Destiny. But then you look at their body of work and just kind of their style and how they're booked. And you already know they're a big deal. They, I mean, they don't need to show it in the ring. You know that they can deliver whatever you want. But I enjoyed this match. I do think we should have ended on the previous match. Enzo's an idiot. But again, this is just... I'm really happy we decided to cover this. And for a show that is primarily about fan service, because I think that's kind of what they build this as, it does not pull any punches. And I do appreciate that from both of the companies. I think for me, at least, like the one thing out of those four teams, the team I was most excited to see being who I am, a guy wearing an LIJ t-shirt, I wanted to see Evil and Sonata. And I feel like they didn't do anything in that match. I feel like they were barely in it. Mm -hmm. Like they were kind of like they did a few things. And then midway through, like Evil hits a guy with a chair and then Sonata takes a bunch of finishers. And then afterwards, like the last five minutes of the match, they're just not there anymore. And I was think, sitting there thinking, like, what happened to those guys? I did have that thought towards the end of the match, too, because it kind of seems like um, everyone just falls off. Yeah. Could have been a three-way, and then just you have Evil and Sonata each in the Honor Rumble, and each let them get a cool pop, and Sonata puts somebody in the Paradise Lock, and, you know, they they go home happy. But, hmm. you know, I thought this was a good match. Again, a 10-minute match, but pretty pretty solid, pretty fun. And I will never forgive Evil for turning on L.I.J. I am uh, going to burn down his house. <laughs> I will never forgive him for doing that. It was like my personal, just like just a a, a great tragedy that was inflicted upon me personally. Because doesn't he beat Sonata during like throughout the uh, the tournament too? Well, he beat Sonata in the semifinals. Yeah, and then he, but it was like you know usually when Evil and Sonata face off like. It's one of the cool things. Like, they're tag team partners, but they go at each other really hard. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching it being like, man, like, usually doesn't e- usually Evil doesn't, like, stomp him in the nuts and stuff like that. He's, like, he's going a little bit harder than usual. And then he turns heel at the end and then kills everybody. And then, you know. Double champ evil. Double champ evil. Imagine that, mm-hmm. like, this guy in this match who, like, did two things. A year and a half later is going to be the double champ. <laughs> so that's what you have to look forward to. Mr. Evil. So that wraps things up for all of these matches on the first half of the show. Again, we have four uh, big matches that we can dig into on the second half of this card uh, later on, including two matches that are a half hour plus. But before we sign off, let's grab our two and a half marks. Jacob, you start. Angelo inhaled like he was about to start talking. Because he thought I was going to say his name first, but swerve, I'm going with Jake. Nani? 
<laughs> so my my uh, half mark is going to go to junior heavyweight wrestling. Um, I I don't understand what it is about the quote unquote junior heavyweights, the the two hundred five lives and stuff. They're never given their due, and I, it goes. I it, I think it legit goes back to like Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and those guys. And it's like, no, you have to be six foot five and chiseled out of marble to make it in this business. And now, obviously, guys like Ray and stuff have kind of bucked that trend. But still, overall, how many small guys are in the main event scene in like WWE and uh, New Japan? There aren't really, right? And I just I think that that's unfair. So I think that like there needs to be a way to incorporate, you know, kayfabe wise, you know, how can Ishimori stack up to Okada or or Kenny or whatever? I will say this though, I think over the last year or so. New Japan is starting to blend that a little right. bit. I mean, normally right. you wouldn't like the junior heavyweights would never ever be allowed to beat the heavyweights. But I think starting with this past New Japan Cup and even before, like you saw like Shingo Takagi and Will Ospreay wrestle in the best of super juniors last year, then wrestle in the G1 and have good runs. Right. And even, you know, you had Hiromu Takahashi, who's a small guy, like beat Ishii in the in the New Japan Cup last month. And, and and win some matches and do some stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now he's challenging for the heavyweight title in a couple days. I look yeah. at NXT so. too, because I mean, look at the guys that have held that title before Keith Lee. You had Adam Cole, you had Johnny Gargano, and then you had Tommaso Ciampa. None of those guys are really that big. Mm-hmm. And even before that, Alistair Black is lithe. Like he's tall. Like he's kind of got the look. He looks like he's bigger than he is, but he's not like a super heavyweight or heavyweight. He's probably in that junior heavyweight category. And all four of those guys were great NXT champions. Not to say Keith Lee's not going to be one, but like those are some lighter guys that were at the top of the card in NXT. But you, you're right in terms of like the main card. It's Daniel Bryan, and the closest guy maybe to that would be Jeff Hardy in terms of the style that he works. But Jeff's not really a traditional junior heavyweight either, so I do understand that part. But like like Daniel Bryan, I'm actually looking up. I wanted to see how big Daniel Bryan is. Dan, okay, so Daniel Bryan is 5'10". So, yeah, so he's definitely sm- on the smaller side. I don't know. That's just – that's something that I noticed. And I, I think that guys like that need more mainstream attention, the, the junior heavyweight types. Uh, my one mark is going to go to Quebecer Pierre because I just love him so much. I, I love the fact – David's kind of already covered what I was going to say, but I love how he disappeared and then just showed up and everybody was like, you remember Quebecer Pierre? Yeah, he's taking uh, powerbomb bumps to the outside now. Yeah. And everybody was just like, oh, okay. Um, David, a couple years ago, I think it was the 2018, uh, Bola sent me the tweet that was like the first entrant in the 2018 Bola, PCO, and I marked out because I was so excited yeah. for that. But it was, it's just great because it was like, yeah, remember that guy from uh, 1994 <laughs> WWF? Look at the shit he's doing right now. <laughs> That's literally what it is. Yeah. He's it's just phenomenal. I keep making the joke about how we drove four and a half hours to see PCO. And while that's not entirely true, he was like top three of guys I was excited to see while I was there. So yeah. it's at least partially true for me. Uh and then my two marks are going to work shoots because we don't talk about those enough, but that Enzo Cast angle was a work shoot and a half. And I, I've always said I love stuff that makes me question the outcome or, you know, has me kind of – that's why I love CM Punk John Cena. 
Money in the Bank 2011 so much. We didn't know. Is CM Punk legit about to just dip out of the uh, company? I love those types of things. So whenever they said that Enzo and Cass weren't shown on the broadcast, I was like, wait, did they just like legit try to run in to the G1 Supercard show? I didn't know. And it had me hooked. So half mark to junior heavyweights, one mark to PCO, two marks to work shoot angles. And you're up. All right, my half mark is going to go to Jeff Cobb. I know we haven't talked about him in a while, but the fact that he's five, billed at 5'9", 270, but looks like an absolute hoss, has all that strength and could go toe-to-toe with any big guy in wrestling, and then has that mind-numbing agility to do backflips and kip-ups and frog splashes. They, they don't make him like Jeff Cobb. And his match against Will Ospreay was just incredible. I loved every second of it. I love every second of every Jeff Cobb match I've ever watched. And he's a guy that is always due for more opportunities wherever he goes. So I'm going to give my half mark to Jeff Cobb. My one mark, because I am a mark, is going to Minoru Suzuki. I mean, in the Honor Rumble, yeah, it's a giant mess of everybody. But the way Suzuki just carries himself, he was eliminating people left and right because he's just such a badass. The booze he get, uh, the booze that Ishii gets after eliminating him shows you how big a deal Suzuki is. And I just, I am going to be getting a Monaro Suzuki shirt within one of my next two paychecks. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but I think the one where you're all important, two marks, is going to... I was splitting it among three people, and that is Bandito, Taiji Ishimori, and Dragon Lee. That match, yes, it's only a nine-minute match, but it's just so incredible, so mind-blowing. The moves that they're doing and the pace that they're going, and the fact that you don't really see any botches. I mean, the top rope spot is probably the sloppiest bit of wrestling that they have in this match, but these are three guys that don't wrestle each other frequently, and they are putting on a classic match that looks absolutely seamless. And those three guys uh, deserve to be recognized with my two marks. And for me, so my half mark, I'm going to give it to Colt Cabana, both as a wrestler. I mean, people love him as a wrestler. I think he's great. On the Jewish pro wrestling, Mount Rushmore for sure. But I love him as a commentator. I think he's hilarious. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but I always feel like he adds something to the broadcast. And I loved his call of the Bandito, Dragon Lee, Taiji Ishimori match when Bandito hits the one move that I was going crazy about, that moonsault side slam where he slams both guys at the same time. You just hear Colt yell, that's not a real move! (laughs) And I loved that. I laughed at it. And, you know, I just want to give a shout out to Colt because he's one of my faves. My one mark goes to Bully Ray. Bully Ray is a guy that throughout his Ring of Honor run up until recently got a lot of heat and not like good heat. A lot of people did not like the way Bully Ray was used. And I agree with the point that I always felt like there was too much time on Ring of Honor programming dedicated to, well, Bully Ray is being an asshole. Bully Ray always has to show up and be an asshole. And his segments always take way too long. I get that. But Bully Ray always managed to do one, re- like do the the one thing a heel has to do. He makes you want to see him get his ass kicked, as good as anybody. Every time I see Bully Ray, I just want him to see him get his ass kicked. And it was really on point in this in this street fight match because he is 
the classic guy who he's always picking on guys smaller than him. And the second they fight back and get the upper hand, he tries to beg off and roll away and run away. And then when he finally gets what's coming to him and he gets his comeuppance, it's, it's fun to watch. And my two marks goes to Madison Square Garden itself. Now, I'm not a mark for Madison Square Garden. I think that they, you know, promote it too much. I mean, James Dolan is a complete idiot. <laughs> but just in and of itself, being Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, New York City, and the fact that there is the history of this being the first wrestling event not promoted by the McMahons in MSG in 59 years. It affords to this show a kind of spectacle and importance and, uh, you know, just historicness, if that's a word, that wouldn't be there if they had, say, held it at the Verizon Center in Washington, D.C., or the United Center in Chicago, or some other big city. The fact that it is at Madison Square Garden means that this show is a bigger deal than it would be anywhere else in America, and it gives it a sort of uh, just atmosphere of just importance that it wouldn't have. And I think that makes this show bigger and better, and it gets bigger and better as we go on into these four main event matches that we're going to be going deep into next week. So that will about wrap it up. Angelo. Now I am very excited because next week, besides these four great matches, we have the return of the fan favorite. The thing that brings us all together, the WWE randomizer. Yes. We've spent way too much time away from the randomizer and we will be getting back to the randomizer. We're going to be rolling the dice again next week but not before we take care of the big boy matches on the G1 Supercard from Madison Square Garden. And so that will do it for this week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. And as always, for Jake Wong and Angelo and Glisa, I'm David Statman. Thanks for listening, everybody. Man.